hear me. The front two rows could hear me. Good morning. If you guys want to stand up, we're going to sing together. Um, we acknowledge that this isn't even something that we deserve to do, um, to sing to our God and be on his side, but he has rescued us. So let's, let's sing out from that. Um, and this crazy word, Adonai, if you've never heard it before, it's just a name for God. So um, it's just kind of an ancient way of calling God who he is. So let's sing these words together. Yeah. 
sinfulness before him. So I'm going to spend some time in confession, and I want to read to you 1 John 5, 21. This is the last verse uh, in this letter from the Apostle John. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father God, we pray indeed that you would help us to tear down the idols in our lives. Lord, I don't think any of us have little statues that we bow down to on our mantelpieces, but we all have, we've all worshipped, we've all given our time and our energy and our talents in the service of false gods, the good gifts that you've given to us that we've turned into saviors, blessings and, and talents and experiences that we take and then we make ultimate in our life, Lord. Lord, we repent, we confess that sin to you. And we pray that you would help us to continue to live a life of repentance, a life of tearing down those idols that compete for the affection that we owe only to you, and that you would help us as we continue to worship, to receive the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, that he paid for the sin of worshiping false gods, and that as we recognize that grace and that forgiveness that we have in Christ, that it would drive us even more to fall in love with you, to see you as the true God, to worship you and lift you up above anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Good morning again. I will not review any of the announcements anymore. Sorry for that 45-minute announcement session. We've just got a lot going on. So anyway, make sure you read your bulletins with those inserts. Um, you can open up your Bibles if you have one to 2 Timothy. Um, if you don't have one, uh, we have some black Bibles under the chairs. We're on page 996 in those Bibles. And we are carrying on with our series called Carry On in 2 Timothy. Um, we've entitled it Carry On because the idea is that you can uh, build this wonderful culture based on truth, which is what we learned when we were studying Titus, uh, and then you can kind of give up, or people can come in and start teaching uh, false things, and, and there are different ways that this can happen where then it just stops, that maybe one generation honors the truth, but then it doesn't move forward. And in Paul's last letter before he dies, here in 2 Timothy, he's telling Timothy to keep pushing out. Uh, to keep fighting against uh, false things, keep fighting against lies and, and teach the truth, um, and also to con continue pushing out and, and uh, greeting new people, uh, meeting new people with the truth of God's word. And so that's our goal as a church. We talked about how, as a church, we've been going through strategic planning. We're about three and a half years old now, kind of a toddler-aged church, um, and we've kind of grown a lot faster uh, than what we expected and in a lot of ways playing catch-up with the growth that God has blessed us with, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but trying to get more organized in different ways. Um, we talked about we're going to be hiring an assistant pastor full-time this summer. Um, we're also looking at probably starting a third service uh, in the fall. Um, and uh, we're just doing a lot of different things that, where we're trying to, to organize and, and use what God has given us here and, and honor Him with what we have. Find new ways to welcome new people. We're trying to figure out some ways, too. One of the big issues is that we have a hallway that's this big. And when you have 600 people going through a hallway this big, it, that doesn't work very good. Um, but we know we're probably not going to be in this building more than four years before we have a big building program of either expanding here or moving. Um, so we're trying to figure out ways to, to maybe, you know, work out the entrances and, and kind of change things around a little bit so that we can handle the traffic better. But I just ask you to pray for us as we pray through those things, um, that we'd be good stewards, stewards of the resources that God gives us, but that we would be faithful to, to Paul's vision here, that we would continue on carry on with the truth of God's word. And that's really what the uh, sermon is about today, is, is specifically God's word, that God breathed out words, that he gave us his words uh, to guide us, that he didn't leave us without instruction. Um, there's a statement that we have in our, our little visitor card that you see kind of some of our core values about the Bible, and that we say that we believe the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus. So that's probably the most succinct way we can summarize it, that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus. We have a longer statement in our Constitution. If you uh, were to pick up our Constitution and study it, which I know a lot of you do, um, you can find this out in the hallway, uh, Church Constitution. But if you were to read this, you can also get it off the Internet. It kind of tells about how our church is governed and 
our doctrine and beliefs. And the first thing under our doctrinal statement is the Scriptures, that we believe that the Scripture is given by inspiration from God, that it's actually true and that it's reliable, that we can trust it, that it's without error. Um, and that's, a, uh, that's kind of a bold statement today. A lot of people don't, don't like to go there because they find some things that they think may disagree with science and, and they, they think, well, maybe we can work out some way that the Scriptures aren't really true, but they're true about God. Um, and we, we would say, well, that's not, that doesn't really make sense. That we, we actually believe that it's a, a reliable document, that it's true. And sometimes we may misunderstand some of the things it says. says. We, may, you know, we may misinterpret, we may misread it here and there, but that it's, it's reliable, it's true, and it's faithful, and it's from God. Um, and so that's the statement, that's what we believe. If you also want to go kind of deeper, deeper than the, the little core value and deeper than the Constitution, there's something called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. Um, and you can find this online, but it was almost like a modern church council where a lot of different Christian scholars met together and kind of worked out their understanding of, of the scriptures and the truth of the scriptures. It's called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. And you can find that online. Um, it was written back in 1978. There's also books that summarize it uh, as well. Um, and I'd love to talk to you more about how we know what is scripture and what's not. Um, but today we're going to focus on what Paul is telling Timothy on how we we can rely on it, how we can trust it, how we don't have to take uh, the ideas of other men, but we can trust what the Scripture says because it has this power in our life. So 2 Timothy 3, we're going to start in verse 15. And remember last week we talked about uh, the discipleship that was happening, the following that was happening, where Timothy uh, was being encouraged to keep following. He was saying, Paul was saying, Timothy, you were, you've already followed closely my life and my teaching and following what you were taught by your, your mother and your grandmother. And he's saying, keep following these things. And now he's taking it to the next level of, of where he, he got that truth. That there's this truth that he was taught by his parents and truth that he's taught by Paul. And those things are joined together in the scriptures. So in verse 15 he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The key phrase here is breathed out by God. God breathed. The word is, is theotnustos. It's this, this joining together of the word God and the word breath. It's He breathed it out. He, he gave it to us. It's not something that man made up, but it's something that we received from God. And that's where a lot of confusion comes in when people, you know, read books like the Da Vinci Code or, or listen to the liberal scholars on the, on the uh, History Channel or whatever. It's this idea that, that, you know, church people got in this back room with cigars and decided what was going to be the Bible. And that's not really how it happened. We received the scriptures. There have been councils and times where people agreed on it and wrote down, yeah, this is the Bible. We recognize it. But we received the Bible. We received God's words that he breathed out to us. And that's where the scripture comes from. Uh, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1.21. You don't need to take time to, to turn there, but if you want to write just down this, this verse, 2 Peter 1.21, he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we understand that Scripture has the flavor, has the style of distinct human authors, different books written by different men, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That God breathed out these words. His Spirit guided men as they wrote down his word for us. And again, like I said, we can, uh, there's a lot more discussion to be had. Um, good, good people have good questions about this, and I'm happy to, to meet with you and talk through all the questions that this may, may raise, probably more than we can answer in, in one day, but I'm happy to begin that conversation. Let's pray and ask God to, uh, to lead us as we look at this, this little section. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us without guidance and without instruction, but you've given us your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans. So you tell us in the book of John that, that you sent us your spirit. And so we ask that your spirit would come and would connect us as your children to your word, that we would understand it and receive it and enjoy the benefits of it, that you would change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Will anybody here know uh, what happened on 28th of April, 1789? Anyone? History buff? 
Yeah, you remember. I won history buff in the audience. 28th of April, 1789, it was the Mutiny on the Bounty. Anyone ever heard of that? It's a movie, so some of you have heard of that at least, right? You may not know history, but maybe you've seen the movie. There was a Mel Gibson movie back in the 80s, I think. Um, several movies were made about this. A, a mutiny is a rebellion on a ship. That's, that's what a mutiny is. So the mutiny on the bounty was when the sailors on this ship called the Bounty uh, mutinied. They rebelled. They said, we don't want you to be our leader anymore, captain. They kicked the captain off, and they took over the ship. So these were rebels. These were rebels that kicked off their captain because they uh, wanted the good life, the good life of, of leading themselves and not submitting to the leadership of their captain any longer. They settled in Tahiti for a little while. They took some wives. They decided, hey, we might get caught in Tahiti, so we better move to a more remote island. So they sailed on to a more remote island called the Pitcairn Islands, the Pitcairn Islands near New Zealand. And there in the Pitcairn Islands, for the next 10 years, they settled, and there with the natives, they tried to build a brave new world. They learned how to distill and make uh, liquor out of some of the native plants. Uh, and what followed for 10 years was 10 years of abuse and alcoholism and fighting and murder and death and disintegration. Just like we've seen when we read the Bible closely, that when man tries to live according to their truth and according to what they think is right, as it says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so 10 years of death and destruction. By the end of that 10 years on their little remote island, their new wonderful world, their utopia they were trying to build, after 10 years, there were only two of those 15 sailors left. Only two of them left. The rest had been murdered and killed or killed themselves or died from disease. There were two of them left. And they decided, what if we try to start living our life according to this book that we found on the ship? See, they'd found an old Bible. Before they burned their ship so they wouldn't get caught, they pulled some things off of the ship. And they had this book that had been sitting unread, unused for 10 years. This isn't the actual one. This one was made like a year ago. But, but they found a Bible on the ship. They found a Bible on the ship and they decided, what if we start actually reading this? What if we start trying to build our culture based on this truth? And so they began to do that. Uh, one of the sailors, Ned Young, could read. John Adams could not read. So Ned Young taught John Adams to read using the scriptures and taught him to read the scriptures. And they began teaching uh, the other people there in their community. Ned Young died and John Adams was, was the last man standing, literally, and he went on with the work of teaching the scriptures and teaching uh, the, the salvation that can be found only in Jesus Christ that is told about in these scriptures. And he taught those to the people, and that's what they began to take their hope in. And they actually then began to have a little utopia that, that started to form. They started to have a wonderful society. That even though it was founded in rebellion and it disintegrated into just death and destruction, and now this little community was being reborn. So that 10 years after that, in 1808, when an American ship found them, in the captain's log, we have records that show that the, that the people on the American ship were just amazed at this wonderful community and just the grace and the joy that these people lived with. And they were hardworking and they were generous and, and what a blessing these people were. You see, the, the Word, God's Word had transformed these people. And, and that's the same hope that we have. When, when we gather week after week and we actually open this up and we read from it and we sing songs that, that are translations of it and we, we speak sermons that are, that are explanations and expositions of what this book has to say, we're saying that we believe that God actually gives us His Word and that it can change our lives. It can transform us, just like it transformed this little colony on Pitcairn Island. Well, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, don't give in to this temptation to follow these false teachers, to follow their words, but continue to follow God's word. Continue to trust God's word. And the language that Paul uses here, the, the first phrase that he uses is, in the ESV says, sacred writings, and then the other phrase is, is the scriptures. And these are both words that are used often to represent uh, the Old Testament. And that's mainly what they would mean. And of course, if the New Testament is still being written, there wasn't a finished uh, New Testament that could be considered fully all the scriptures. But we see throughout scripture as we read how, if you were to just do a word search on scriptures and read everything that the Bible has to say about it, you see that they did have this understanding that the New Testament, the, the gospel message that was being passed on word of mouth by the apostles, who were Jesus' 
official representatives, that that was also part of the scriptures, that that was the authoritative message that matched the predictions from the Old Testament. The promises from the Old Testament were now being fulfilled in Jesus. And so the apostles had a clear understanding that they also were speaking scripture as they were telling the story, as they were writing these letters. And so we see that these two ideas are bonded together. Even here in 2 Timothy, you can read the interplay between the word of truth that, that Paul is communicating and the Old Testament scriptures and how they go together. And so we see this here in the scriptures. And in the first verse that we, hear, that we have here in, a, in verse 15, Paul's saying that God's word is powerful to save. That God's word can actually be used by God to save us. And that's the first way that we see it transforming our lives. And it's important to note the, the assumption that comes with that, right? Because there's an assumption that goes with, with the idea that we need saving. There's an assumption that, that there's something wrong with us, right? That we're in trouble. And a lot of people don't believe that today. And so we have to talk about that before we talk about saving. Maybe in this first century audience, it would have been more understood that there was something wrong with people, but there's some kind of weird arrogance that we have as 21st century people where we kind of think that we're okay. We, we kind of try to live under the illusion that we're all, we're just fine. And we just need a little more of that and a little more of this, and, and that'll make things better. But basically we're okay. And the problems in the world are, are this problem over there and this problem over there. But, but we need to understand the biblical perspective that says we have a problem. I have a problem, that we are broken. That's why every time we, we have a worship service, we spend time in what we call confession. Or either silently as individuals or together corporately we pray and recognize, God, we're, we're broken. We need you to save us. And so God's word provides that. God's word helps us to be saved, to be rescued. The word save means literally rescue. I found a helicopter rescue picture here to, to kind of give you a word picture. Because a lot of times we... Uh, if you've been in the Bible Belt very long, salvation can kind of just be thrown around as like a kind of Christian jargon. You know, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't relate to real life anymore. Uh, but the idea is that, that we're in trouble, that we need to be rescued, that there's something deeply wrong, that we're deeply flawed, that we're headed in the wrong direction, that we're spiritually dead, and we need to be rescued. That's, that's what the word means. That's what salvation means. So Paul says in 3.15, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's joining these things together. Again, the sacred writings and faith in Christ Jesus, these things come together and they're able to make us wise for salvation. They're able to transform us, to save us, to rescue us. When we recognize that Jesus is the one we've been looking for, that we all know we're broken, right? You read Genesis and it's just story after story about people messing up, about people not having it together. And there's this promise in Genesis 3, right at the beginning, Adam and Eve rebel. And in Genesis 3, God promises to the serpent, to the one that tempted them, and says, someday a son of Eve is going to come and crush your head. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He's the one that finally comes. Throughout Genesis, you keep seeing this kind of hope, this longing, is, is this son going to be the one? Is this hero going to be the one? And, and none of them are. And we're left at the end of the Old Testament still hoping that a Savior is going to come. And then the apostles come and tell us that it's Jesus. Jesus is the one we've been looking for. He comes to save us. And so I think just the, the application for that is for all of us to become thoroughly convinced that there is something wrong with us. And even for Christians, if you grew up culturally as a Christian, this can be a difficult stretch. You ask a lot of people um, about their relationship with God and they'll tell you things like, well, I'm a good person, or my parents are Christian, or I was raised in the church, or I went to Sunday school, or I got a lot of points memorizing verses in Awana, or you know, whatever it may, may be. And, and you kind of hearken back to the past. When, when really the essence of Christianity is recognizing that there is something deeply flawed with you and that you today need a Savior. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is your only hope? And when you recognize that, then you're wise for salvation. Then, then you can have hope. Then you can be saved. Don't, don't remember the faith of your parents. Don't remember the faith that you used to have. But have faith now in Jesus. That he's enough. That he's one that the Old Testament foreshadowed and promised. And he's the one that, that comes and brings that fulfillment in the New Testament. He's that, that lamb that was sacrificed for our sin. That died in our place to take away your sin and rose from the dead to prove 
you can have eternal life. I want to encourage you to, to pursue the Old Testament with that in mind. Read the Old Testament with, with the idea that it is pointing to our need for a Savior. I think it'll open it up. It'll make it make a lot more sense. Because a lot of us have been taught these Sunday school lessons of, of be like Abraham, and be like Jacob, and, and be like Isaac, and be like these Old Testament characters. And then when you actually read Genesis, you're shocked. Like, I can't believe this. No wonder they didn't actually read these stories to us in Sunday school. They're pretty hideous, you know? But, but go back and read these stories and read it with that in mind that, that God is pointing out our need for a Savior. God is trying to help us to, to see that, that He's coming and He's going to save us. The next thing that we see as we look through this is that God's Word shapes us. It, it, it begins to transform us. It begins to set us on the right path and, and take us forward to where we need to go. God's Word shapes. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So that's the idea that we talked about earlier. All scripture comes from God. It's not stuff that men made up, but it comes from God. He gave it to men to give to us. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it's profitable. This, this is this theme that comes up again and again in the pastoral epistles. We studied Titus for a little while at the beginning of the new year. And this idea came out again and again that there are things that, that are healthy and there are things that are unhealthy. That are thing, there are things that are profitable and there are things that are worthless. There's a lot of teaching out there today that is not profitable, that is not healthy. But Paul says again and again that the gospel is profitable, that it produces, that it's sound doctrine. Again, we said that word sound means healthy. It helps things to grow. It produces fruit in our life, like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It says love and joy and peace and patience. And these things will start to grow out of us when we take by faith the gospel, that God loves us, that there's something broken and something wrong with us, and we need him to fix us. When we walk in faith in this Jesus, we begin to, to profit, we begin to produce, we begin to be fruitful. And that's what he's saying here, that God's word is fruitful, it's profitable, it, it benefits. It's not like these false teachers that are just benefiting themselves. It's a good sign of a false teacher is, is when the people around them continue to live in brokenness, but they just kind of get richer and richer. That's a, that's a key sign of a false teacher. They're saying, give me your money, give me your money, and, and God will bless you. But they're not helping people to grow. They're not giving them any hope in the scripture. They're just giving people hope in some magic formula of, of giving, their magic formula of, you know, follow my ten steps to success. God says the gospel is what profits. The gospel is what blesses and helps us to grow and to be transformed. And then he lays it out in these, these four pieces, right? This is always difficult. If you're like me, I memorize this in the NIV, so I keep getting it mixed up when I'm reading it here in this other translation. But he says, it's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we talked to, we've talked before about they like to arrange things in what they call a chiasm form a lot of times in the Bible, which just means um, they start and end with something similar, and then the middle points are something similar as well. And we've kind of got that arrangement here. It's starting and ending with something positive. And then the two in the middle are both negative. Um, and the other thing is the first two, the positive and negative statement at the beginning, are both about doctrine, about truth that needs to be taught in a church. And then the last two, the third and the fourth one, the negative and positive, are about how you live. So it's, it's what to believe and then how to live. And it's positive what to believe, negative what not to believe, negative how not to live, positive how to live. Does that make sense? And so it's kind of he's kind of arranging a poetic order here um, that just, you know, to the Greek mind makes it make more sense. But just so that we can arrange it, we can understand that these first two are talking about teaching. That it is profitable. It's something you can teach with. You don't have to come up with your own ideas. We, we call this here expository preaching, which means we, we take the Bible and just week after week try to teach what the Bible says. We just try to expose what the Bible says. And it it makes it a lot easier for me planning my sermons. I can go through and, you know, plan out like six months and break it up into pieces and go, okay, we're going to be on this text this week and this text this week. I don't have to, you know, be worried Saturday night going, oh, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? You know, I mean, I've, I can have it planned out way ahead of time and I can begin studying what God's Word says. And then our job each week is just to open it up and look at it and say, what, is, what does God's Word have to say to us? So I'm not teaching my ideas. I'm teaching God's Word. And I've said this before, it's good because if I was just teaching my ideas, I'd just talk about my favorite subjects, and I've, I would avoid anything that would make me uncomfortable, right? I would just teach my little, little uh, soapbox things, and I'd stay away from anything too controversial. But, but when we go book by book, 
and just study whatever God lays out, I can go, oh, this is a great book. And then I get to a certain passage and I'm going, oh, no, I don't want to talk about this. But, but it's there. I have to talk about it. And it just kind of forces us to deal with real stuff. Forces us to be healthy as a church and just kind of move through what God has to say to us. So God's words should be the subject of our teaching. It says it's, it's helpful for teaching and for reproof. And that negative word reproof is correcting false teaching. So that when we meet in community groups or in small groups and we're rubbing shoulders life on life and there's this kind of discussion back and forth or you're holding each other accountable, God's word then becomes the judge, right? You're saying, well, I don't, I don't know if God's word says that. I think it says this. And then you can begin to discuss begin to challenge each other or reprove or rebuke each other based on God's word. You're challenging each other out of God's word, not just your opinion or whatever feels good that, that day. And so that's how the church should base its teaching. And then the next two are these how to live words, the, the correction and the training in righteousness. Correction is more of a negative word, setting uh, what's out of place, and the training in righteousness is, is a word for education. This correction word, I had a picture to go with this. This is um, the word that really they would use to talk about a cast, right? Any of you ever broken an arm? Anybody here? A few of you? Yeah, I broke an arm. It's no fun. Hurts very bad. And uh, they, they put a splint on it or a cast on it to, to set it straight, right? To help it grow back in the right direction. To set it back the direction that it needs to go. This Greek word is orthosin. Um, and I actually go to the store sometimes and I buy insoles that are called orthotics, right? Anybody use those? Orthotics, it's kind of the same thing. It sets your feet. People are embarrassed now. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have asked you that. Um, it, it sets your feet in the right direction. If you're like me, you have feet that, that want to curve in when you run and your legs start to get sore, so then you have these, these orthotics. They straighten it out. And so Paul's saying that's what God's Word does, like a cast that, that sets your bones straight to grow in a healthy direction. That's what God's Word can do for you. Or like the orthotic that you put in your shoe, or maybe if you had braces on your legs when you were little, that they help you to grow straight, to go in the right direction. They, they correct where you've, where you've gone off course. And Paul's saying that's, that's the function that God's Word has in our life, helping us to know how to live. And, and the other way that it shapes us is training us in righteousness. That's the last word that he uses, and it's a word that's usually used for training children. And, and we need to come to the Word as God's children. We need to come to the Word and say, uh, say Daddy, what, what do you want me to do? and have a submissive attitude to God's Word, being, being ready and being willing to be shaped by Him, to be trained in righteousness, living and doing what is right. I want to challenge you to apply this, to, to actually start reading the Scriptures. We've talked about this a lot. Um, there's, there's great ways to do that. Um, I, I encourage you again and again uh, not to just read the hardest things in the Bible, but, but go to some of the easier places. Genesis is a great place to start, like I said earlier, reading that with the idea of what is God trying to teach us about human nature and about his willingness to provide and, and to save us out of our brokenness. Um, some of the New Testament letters, some of the Gospels, I think John's an easy one to read, some of the shorter letters of Paul, uh, reading along what we've been studying here in church where you've gotten the explanation, now you can go back and read it, uh, maybe in a couple of different translations to try to understand it uh, in different ways. There's another thing I really want to encourage you with and challenge our church to is memorizing Scripture. It's finding those verses that really speak to you about the gospel and God's hope for you in your life. There may be certain things that you're struggling with, and you can memorize a Scripture that speaks to you about that struggle, and you can use that then as fuel to, to help reset yourself like a splint, like a cast, like an orthotic setting you in the right direction. Uh, there's a, a packaged one that you can find where it's a whole system. It's called... Uh, the topical memory system. The Navigators produced this. Uh, one of our elders is named Loris Shepherd, and he's uh, the head of the Navigators in this area. And this is just a, uh, a ministry that helps people grow in their faith. And so they've produced a lot of Bible studies and a lot of books. And you can buy this at the Christian bookstore. It's called the Navigators Topical Memory System. It has, I think, some explanation about the verses, but basically it's just kind of this, this system of verses uh, about kind of every subject of your Christian life. And it gives you little cards, you know, that you can separate and carry the cards in your pockets. You can start learning some scripture to start shaping your life with it. I would challenge you to try that. It's had, just had an incredible impact in my life. It's, it's really helped me to grow and helped me to know the difference between truth and error. So I want to encourage you guys to take that. The last thing that we see Paul telling Timothy is that God's word sends us. It's not enough just to set us and to fix us, to save us and rescue us, but he wants to send us out for the benefit of others as well. 
And we see this articulated in, in verse 17. He says, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And some theologians disagree about man of God. Man of God is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament for a prophet. You know, so like the official sense of the man of God, who would be like a spokesman for God. Um, but also it's used in the New Testament of someone that belongs to God. And we've talked about this before, that there may be official leaders within the church uh, that, are, that are called, um, like, like my calling, my personal calling, what I love, and I, I'm excited to wake up every day to study the scriptures and share them with you and help you grow in understanding the truth. And so I have this calling to be a, a teacher of the scriptures and pastor. Um, but every Christian is called to understand and share God's word. Every Christian is called at some level to share. And so you may not be called to do that like, you know, 24-7, but uh, that may be a part of your call just as a Christian. And, and I think this word really, the, the ambiguity of this word, it's unclear exactly what it means, speaks to that. That there is there's that, that spectrum for us as Christians too. We're, we're all called to be official representatives of Jesus. And some of us may do it more hours than others. Some of us may have official positions in the church and, and work on those skills more. But, but all of us at some level are called to be a man or woman of God. And he's saying that, that God's word is enough because it comes from God, because it's trustworthy. It's enough to equip us, to make us competent, it says, equipped for every good work. And these two words, competent and equipped, are really variations of the same word. One is kind of the process, and the other is, okay, it's complete, now you have been uh, equipped. And both of them speak to this idea of being trained and being outfitted and having all the gear you need, being complete, um, having arrived, so to speak. I, I thought of the, uh, the analogy in martial arts of getting your black belt, right? Because you're just kind of like, a, from what I understand, the other color belts, you're just like, kind of like a preschooler. But once you get your black belt, you've kind of arrived. There's a, lot more, there's a lot more learning to go, but you're now somewhat equipped once you've gotten your, your black belt. You can become more advanced. You can learn more. You can get better, more levels. Um, but it's this idea that you are now got the basic equipment to now be, to be sent out to do some damage, I guess, depending on your, uh, your type of martial art there. Um, but the idea is that you would actually do something, that God's now equipped you with God's word, and, and you're being sent out to do something. He says, uh, equipped for every good work. And I wanted to really hit on this word work because I'm afraid because of the weirdness of our society, when we hear the word work, we kind of think of like the Dunder Mifflin office where, where no work really happens, you know? I mean, I don't know if you think of that, but that's kind of what I think of. I think of like bad fluorescent lighting and sitting around waiting for five o'clock to come. You know, that's kind of what I think of sometimes when I hear the word work. Um, but that's not what work is supposed to mean. That's just a dysfunction of the great affluence we have, that we have all these jobs where you get paid to not do anything. Um, but, but in the ancient world, in the real world, and the rest of the world today, um, work means work. It means energy. Even in the Greek, it's this word, it's like energy. It's like things happening. It's production. It's, it's things being moved and changed and, and shaped and, and sent out. And, and so the idea is that he equips us to do things. He equips us to have an impact on the world. And I don't know what your, what your unique calling is. You know, we talked about that, that we all as Christians have a calling to represent God's mercy and his love and his justice in the world around us. And, and some of you have a unique calling, maybe to be a, a teacher or a soldier or a doctor, or maybe you're a, an artist, or maybe you're a craftsman, or you're good at fixing things. And so you all have these unique callings of, of how God's shaped you, what you're good at. And, and he wants you to use those unique gifts, again, to, to honor him. To make things happen, to work and to produce, but to do so in a way that brings glory to God. I know a lot of you are probably in a job right now that you hate. Um, you may be in a job, everybody laughs, yeah. <laughs> it's true. A lot of us are there, but God calls us to do something great, even in those kinds of jobs. I mean, start sending out resumes, start looking for a better job, but God wants you to make... Good things happen even where you are now. With the neighbors that maybe you don't get along with. With the dysfunctional family that God's placed you. And in that shop that you don't want to go to, you don't like to work there. God can use you to bring redemption there. He's equipped you. He, he's, he can train you with his word. And Paul reminds Timothy again and again, you, you don't need some other special training. You don't need these other things that the false teachers offer you don't need their 10 steps to happiness. You don't need to follow these other ways, but God's word is enough to help you make the most of that time. If you're struggling to know how to redeem a terrible job, 
God's word can instruct you on how to make that happen. God's word can transform you so that you can be of use to him. It can make you competent and equipped. Well, I wanted to end um, kind of giving you the rest of the story about Pitcairn Island. Uh, the rest of the story of Pitcairn Island, uh, 2004, uh, very little people were, were left on that island. Uh, after about 100 years, they, they drifted as uh, institutions and communities often do uh, from being centered on God's word. And it's kind of a sad story that in 2004, the, uh, the mayor, the leader of the town, because really it's, it's small and it's just a town, that's all it is, um, was being prosecuted and convicted of abuse charges and, and uh, corruption charges. And, and what had happened over the years is these guys had drifted from living their life based on God's word. So they started out as rebels, and they repented and decided to now start uh, living their lives in the salvation that Jesus provides and start letting their lives be shaped by God's word. And that really produced something beautiful there for a little while. But they, they drifted. And, and they didn't continue to listen to God's word. They didn't continue to make that central. And they drifted from the Savior that this word speaks of. And so things have ended badly. But there's, there's still hope, right? Just like in the families that we live in and the businesses that we work at and in the churches and schools and communities that God sends us, there's always hope that, that we would turn, that we would repent, that we would listen to the one that these scriptures speak about. Jesus talked about this, this drift, this institutional drift that goes on in, in John chapter 5. It's a great little section because I've talked about this before. It's easy to, to follow God and then drift from actually following him and walking in grace with Jesus to just, to just talking about his word, but not really talking about him anymore. And that's what had happened with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were still experts in the Old Testament, but it wasn't making them wise for salvation. They drifted. Jesus says in John 5, 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Saying, you miss me, you're looking for eternal life just in knowing the scriptures. It says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It says, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus makes it clear he's not in disagreement with the Old Testament sacred writings. He's saying, Moses spoke about me. If you don't believe him, how are you going to believe me? But the goal for us as a church is to continue to go to the scriptures, to, to find our truth in God's word because it speaks of Jesus. Not to make the scriptures some kind of hobby. Not to impress each other with how much we know. But to seek Jesus, the, the subject of the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you give us your word. We pray that you would help us to be transformed by it. That you would fill us and shape us with your word and by your spirit. We pray for Jesus' sake.